We've got a lot to get to. Uh, so before we just begin, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This will be our main text today, but I'm not going to get to it for a while. And so I just kind of want to set the stage as to where we are going. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 25. And friends, this is the word of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be worried about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you worried about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, that neither they toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be worried, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather in community, to open your word, and to learn from you. And so I ask that you would fill us, fill me, with your Holy Spirit, that we would be transformed, that we would be filled with your hope, and that we would learn more about your love for us. Encourage us, challenge us, and change us to become more like you, we pray. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Knowing my topic this weekend, a friend of mine on staff sent me this Charlie Brown comic. It is Charlie sharing his burdens to Linus. And Charlie Brown says, I worry about school a lot. I also worry about my worrying so much about school. My anxieties have anxieties. Now, some of you will read that and you'll think, oh, I like Charlie Brown. Poor guy's always down on his luck. This is a cute comic. But I'm sure there's others in this room right now who are troubled by this comic, who have experienced true anxiety in their lives and who feel like this comic is making the hurt and pain and suffering they've experienced kind of trivial. And so, to those people, uh, I want you to know that I think I understand. And I hope to begin to address that in the coming moments. And I want to begin today by telling you about a friend of mine from my small group who has experienced great pain in her journey of anxiety. My friend, after graduating university, got her first real job. But the work environment was unhealthy and unsafe for her. Her duties were undefined, and her supervisor gave her little direction and no support. Instead, she's been consistently yelled at, and her efforts were belittled in front of others. The thing is, my friend thought, well, maybe this is just the way it is in the real world. And so she kind of just lived with it. But over time, emotionally, it began to take a toll on her, and she began to feel great distress without really recognizing what was going on in her. She dreaded going to work, fearful of what awaited her. She began to feel tense and stressed every moment of every day. And in time, she found herself sobbing herself to sleep five nights a week. She didn't know what to do. She knew she needed help, but she didn't really want to get help because she didn't want to appear weak. And so this continued on for about three years. And finally, at the end, about three years, she went to work one morning, and she has a panic attack. And so my friend is lying there on her office floor, heart pounding, body sweating, finding it difficult to breathe, and sobbing 
She's wondering if she's having a heart attack. Now imagine for a moment that my friend was your friend, someone that you cared deeply about. What would you say to her? How would you offer to help her? This weekend, we're continuing on in our series, which we are calling Refresh, where we are seeking to learn about anxiety and worry and how to deal with their presence in our lives. Last weekend, Clyde began the series by sharing what it means to know God and to know our identity as his follower. And Clyde's purpose was to establish a spiritual foundation for us so that today we could dive right in and deal directly with anxiety and worry. And so my hope this weekend is that we would each leave here with kind of an introductory understanding of the differences between anxiety and worry, that you'd be able to discern the differences within yourself, that you leave here with some practical biblical help in dealing with day-to-day worries, and that maybe some of you would begin to feel hope and refreshment again. And so that's where we're going. But just before I continue, uh, I think I, I should say that on the topic of anxiety specifically, I have used some of the specific language and teaching from Dr. Neil Parker, who periodically gives seminars on mental health here at Southview. And so, uh, yeah, so let's begin. And I want to begin by answering two questions. One, what are anxiety and worry? And what are the differences between them? What are anxiety and worry? And what are the differences between them? And to answer those questions, I'm going to first need to explain a little bit about fear. Why fear, you might be wondering. Well, fear, anxiety, and worry are all linked. Uh, They all have similarities, yet medically, psychologically, they're all very much different. But we need to kind of begin with fear element. So what happens to us when we experience fear? Um, Within our bodies, there is a God-designed system to help us survive a physical threat. Commonly, we call it fight, flight, or freeze. So that when we suddenly experience fear, physically our body increases production of adrenaline and cortisol so that we can respond quicker and stronger to a threat. Neurologically, we become hypervigilant. We're we're alert, we're aware, we're on guard so that we're ready to fight or run. So let me just give uh, an example from my own life. So the background to this example is I'm scared of dogs because dogs don't like me. And so... um, (laughs) <laughs> so a couple years ago, I'm at my mailbox, and I live in one of those communities where there's community mailboxes, and so it's around the corner from my cul-de-sac, and so I'm looking in my mailbox, and I hear this barking, and I look over, and my neighbor's dog, a big black dog named Jackson, is charging me from about 35 yards, okay? And so the tail is not wagging. There are teeth bare, and it's kind of a throaty growl, you know what I'm saying? And so I am instantly overcome with fear, adrenaline, Cortisol starts shooting through my veins. I am ready to fight or run. So who would fight here? Who would fight that big dog? <laughs> Riles, what a, what a trooper you are. So Riley would fight. The rest, would you run? Who here would run? There's a few runners here. That's good. So I didn't know it until this very moment, but I'm one of those guys who freezes. So I just, I froze in my tracks in the fear of the moment. And so just to finish the story... So I'm there frozen as this dog's coming. And suddenly, my neighbor rounds the corner. He's like, Jackson, Jackson, stop. And so the dog, about five feet from me, I said, oh, thank you. Thank you. And then Jake comes running up to me. He goes, I'm really sorry, Kelly. He goes, he's never done that before. I go, yeah, I get that a lot. And so, <laughs> so anyways, interestingly enough, the next day, I'm walking with my neighbor. And I'm telling him of this story. And we're walking right by those mailboxes. And he looks at me and goes, 
why don't you just dump the fence? And I, I look over, and sure enough, less than three feet behind the mailboxes are Mark and Anna's fence. I could have easily just vaulted over it, no problem. But in my terror of the moment, I didn't see that option, and I just stood there. So there's the background. So I want you to imagine whatever it is for you, having that kind of fear or terror, having that kind of fear or terror, but there's no dog attacking you. That's anxiety. Anxiety is the launch of the fight, flight, or freeze response produced by the fear of a future threat or an imagined threat. And so with anxiety, your body responds like it does to fear, but there's no immediate threat. The dog's not there, although you think he's there. It feels like he's there. He feels like he's around the corner, that a threat is imminent. You feel like it's there, and so your body tenses up, waiting, waiting. That's anxiety. And it's so debilitating for so many. And the really tricky part is that anxiety is experienced uniquely by everyone. The causes of anxiety are complex and individually based. Often, it involves some sort of past emotional pain or trauma. But even in saying that, those experiencing anxiety often aren't sure exactly why they feel the way they do or exactly even what their body's doing. And then not knowing what is happening to them is terrifying even in and of itself. Regarding the symptoms, people with anxiety will often exhibit severe emotional distress that manifests itself in dysfunction in social or family situations or dysfunction at work. Or it can lead to cognitive impairment where it's difficult to process our thoughts. Or it leads to the avoidance of people or other situations. It can include physical symptoms like tense muscles and hearts pounding and shaking and shallow, rapid breathing and, and a bunch of other ones. And basically what I want to say, if this describes you, these symptoms that I just mentioned, if this describes you that you have an uncontrollable, fearful expectation of something that's not right in front of you, and you have this over a long, prolonged extended period of time, then perhaps you have an anxiety disorder. And if you have an anxiety disorder, then your mind needs to be reordered. And you're probably going to need some sort of assistance or professional assistance. And so, in my opinion, in my opinion, I think you should see your doctor if this describes you and maybe get a reference for a good psychologist or a psychiatrist or counselor, someone you can sit down with face-to-face, -face, someone that you feel safe with, that you feel comfortable with, that you, you believe has your best interests at heart, someone that's going to give you homework and work with you, trial and error, to try to figure out how to best support you. Studies show that only about 40% of those with anxiety disorders seek help, and that only about 10% of those with anxiety disorders actually receive proper help or treatment. Again, a huge part of the struggle is that each person's experience with anxiety is unique, and so each person's healing from anxiety is also going to be unique. Even professional counselors can struggle to understand how best to treat each individual. In simplistic terms, one needs to retrain their minds to remain calm, but this is difficult because when we get fearful, our body starts shooting cortisol through our veins within seconds. I think it's like two seconds. And so we usually only have two seconds to put out calming hormones instead of cortisol so as not to respond anxiously. And since it probably has taken one several years to kind of inadvertently train their brain to respond fearfully, it's also going to take several months or maybe years to retrain the brain to respond calmly. 
My small group friend that I spoke of earlier told me that her and her therapist over a series of months used trial and error to figure out what calming strategies work best for her. For her, it was progressive muscle relaxation, aromatherapy, and sharing her feelings honest and openly with several people. But again, it's going to be different for everyone. And so if you're here today, and this describes you uncontrollable, fearful expectations and these physical symptoms over an extended period of time, if that describes you, I want you to know there's hope for you, that retraining your brain to be healthy is possible. But I think probably you're going to need assistance. So please seek help. And I hope that even as I'm sharing this, that it's easy to see that there are profound differences between anxiety and the day-to-day -day worrying. And so just a couple of examples for you, a list here. Worrying is in our heads, thinking, stressing on the concerns and cares of our day. But anxiety is also in our bodies with the feelings of fear and the fight-flight-freeze response. Worry is generally fairly specific, focused thinking on a specific problem or problems. But anxiety often becomes generalized, spreading to and often affecting all sorts of potential issues. Worry is mildly distressing. It's stressful, but it does not impact our functioning. Anxiety, though, is often severely stressful, often disabling our functioning for prolonged periods of time. And I'm stressing these differences because often in our day-to-day -day language, we speak of anxiety and worry as being synonymous, that they're the same thing. They are not. They are not the same thing. And I think one of the confusing things for us as Christians is that the New Testament uses these terms synonymously. So if you go from version to version, one version will say worry, another version will say anxious. But about 20 times in the New Testament, every time you read the word anxious, anxiety, worry, or worried, there is, with one exception, the same Greek root word being translated here, which means to be concerned about, to worry. The reality is, in first century Palestine, they had no concept of what we call today anxiety or anxiety disorder, which means then if you, someone comes to you, and this is what I hope doesn't happen, if someone comes to you and, and says, oh, I'm struggling with anxiety, and you go, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, it's a great verse with hope and purpose and meaning and encouragement, but that is speaking about day-to-day -day worries, not what we would call anxiety. All of life is spiritual. But there really is no direct New Testament teaching on anxiety. The New Testament is always talking about day-to-day -day worries. And I'm stressing this fact because this becomes a problem when, again, someone comes to us who struggle with anxiety and we treat them as though they're just worried about their midterm on Friday. It's not the same thing. And I hope this doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyways. I think, I think if someone comes to us struggling with anxiety, we need to be gracious and compassionate with them. Biblically, I think we're called to be gracious and compassionate to everyone who's struggling, regardless of what they're struggling with. But I think more so with anxiety, because again, anxiety is so incredibly complex that most who are experiencing it don't even really understand what's happening to them or why they're feeling what they're feeling or, or what to do about it. And so let's be gentle and humble with our anxious friends. And let me just give you a quick example of someone from among you who did this perfectly. Again, my friend from small group was at a service here a couple years ago and she was having a difficult day and her emotions were overwhelmed and she, and she was just struggling. And so she left and she went to the restroom. 
And she's in there when this woman who she did not know and had never seen before and hadn't seen since came up to her and said, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Is there someone at home who cares about you, who can provide support for you right now? Would you like me to stay with you right now or would you like me to leave? And this lady said these questions and my friend says, you know, in that moment, I needed someone to acknowledge that everything was not okay. I needed to hear those words. And she goes, I knew, I looked in this woman's eyes and I knew, I knew if I said, I don't have anyone, that she would have done something. And that was so encouraging and helpful that it was kind of like this life, I don't know if life-changing moment, but it was this, this life-giving moment. It was exactly what I needed at the time. And so if, if, if you are here today, uh, God bless you because you aided my friend when she needed it most. And so, I hope that that's provided a little bit of an introduction to anxiety and anxiety disorders. And I thought about it all week, but there's really no easy way to transition uh, from anxiety to worry. But for the rest of our time this morning now, we're going to look at the topic of worry. And again, it's very different, uh, but it is a topic which the New Testament does have direct teaching on. And so, uh, we're going to go back to the main passage which I read earlier. So again, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. The setting is, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's his thought flow. He has just issued his, le- his listeners a reminder that we each have a choice to make. In essence, Jesus says, either we trust God and follow him, or we don't. It's our choice. And then Jesus continues on with that same thought flow and pl- applies it to the issue of worrying, of day-to-day worries. And we begin in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be worried about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Two quick points here. First, Jesus here is talking about legitimate concerns, needs. He's saying, do not worry about the necessities of life, food, clothing, shelter. Do not worry. God will take care of these needs. But secondly, I think we need to recognize, I think it's important for us to recognize that most of Jesus' listeners, most people in first century Palestine would have had understandable concern for the necessities of life. The vast majority of people in that time had little beyond the basics of life. They had no bank accounts. They had no retirement savings. Instead, they had an economy that was largely based on seasonal rains and a workforce that worked mostly day to day. They had, Jesus' listeners, legitimate reasons to be concerned. And so a couple weeks ago, I went out for lunch with a friend of mine who got laid off in December. And I kind of said, hey, how, how are things? Like, how are you doing? And he said... Well, he goes, I got a nice severance package, and so I'm okay for a few months there, and then I have some other financial means that I could dip into if necessary, and then if things got really bad, you know, you know we could sell our house, and we could kind of downsize a little bit, and, and so, I mean, I'm okay for a year. But my friend doesn't want, he loves his house, he doesn't want to sell his house, and he doesn't, none of us want to dip into kind of our financial savings or whatever that is. And so he's still very concerned about his employment situation. But he's okay, in a sense, for a year. That was not the case with the people with whom Jesus is addressing. First century laborers were typically, they would work the day, then at the end of the day they would get paid so that their family would have money to buy food for tomorrow. It was a day-to-day existence. But what if a day laborer got injured and couldn't work? Or what if there was a drought? What then? 
Jesus is talking to people whose ability to earn a living is a legitimate day-to-day concern. And so I think we need to recognize that as we're listening to these words. Again, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be worried about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Our life consists of much more than just meeting our basic needs. And Jesus is going to go on later in this passage to explain what that more is. But he's saying, a life that is consumed by the constant worrying of needs is consequently going to miss out on the more. And so Jesus provides a series of reasons why, why worrying for our needs is unnecessary. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is the first in a series of rhetorical questions which Jesus poses. And in the Greek, the word here, you, is emphatic. Meaning, if God provides food for the birds, he will provide food for you, his followers. If God cares for the birds of the air, he will care for you, his followers. Our creator God cares for all his creatures, but especially so for humans. Humans, the only part of creation formed in the image of God. Humans, the only members of creation to be caretakers of the rest of creation. God loves us. God delights of us. As Psalm 35 says, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. How do we know that we can depend on God to provide for us? Reason number one, because we are valuable to God. God loves us. And then Jesus gives us a practical second reason, verse 27. And which of you by worrying, can add a single hour to a span of life. Jesus is pointing out the limitations of human achievement. Obviously, no one can add additional time to their life. The length of our days is outside of our control. In fact, you could argue that worrying shortens our days. And so Jesus reminds us that we are not in control of our circumstances, that worrying about our circumstances doesn't help. So why engage in it? A second reason not to worry is that worrying is of no practical help. For reason three, we skip down to verse 31. Verse 31, Therefore, do not be worried, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The third reason is that we can depend on God. We can depend on God because... Our Father in heaven knows what you need. God knows what you need. God cares about your needs. So we should trust him to provide for our needs. Otherwise, God's, Jesus says, we're living more like the Gentiles than believers. In the New Testament, non-Jews or Gentiles were generally polytheists who believed in many gods. And these polytheists spent much of their time and effort trying to appease the anger of the gods that they were following. The problem was they didn't know why their God was angry with them, and they didn't know how to appease him and make him happy. And Jesus is wondering out loud here, is that how we view life with our God? Jesus is asking, is that how you view life with me? One commentator calls this practical atheism, where we profess to be followers of Jesus, but we actually live and stress as though God is not in control. We're just on our own. So, Do I live as though God loves me and is in control? Or do I live as though I'm all alone, that I have to take care of my own needs? 
which of these descriptions best portrays how I live, how you live? Jesus then concludes with these words in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's saying our first priority as believers is to seek and live under the reign and rule of God's kingship. Or in other words, of first importance in our lives is not that our wishes be met, not even that our physical needs be met, but rather that we would seek to know and follow the God of creation. It's about relationship. The more to life that Jesus spoke about earlier, the more to life is about relationship with himself. As Clyde said last week, Christianity is about knowing Christ. The more you know Christ, the more you know his love for us, the more we know his caring provision for us, the easier it will be in time to trust him day to day with the details of our lives. And so, is the first priority of my life to know Christ? Is the first priority of my life to know Jesus? Or, Do you feel your tendency to worry somehow hinders you from knowing Jesus? I have several friends with what you would call excitable personalities, uh, where... I thought that was gracious. I don't know what you're... (laughs) Several friends with excitable personalities who tend naturally to worry a little bit. And they have shared with me at times that they feel like their personalities put them at a spiritual disadvantage. They feel like their God-given personalities that come with worrying and fretting naturally are a handicap to them in their relationship with God. And I don't agree with that. And so I want to kind of reframe that viewpoint some. If you're here today and you have one of those worrying, fretting type of personalities, rather than that being a handicap, which draws you away from God, I hope that you see that personality, that it can be a wonderful warning system that alerts us regularly to our neediness, that reminds us of the only one who can truly meet our needs. And so as we conclude, I want to reframe how our worrying can actually lead us to Jesus by sharing three callings about the worries of life they can remind us of. And these are things that we all need, but sometimes we listen and respond better when we're worried. And so a first reminder, when we recognize those feelings of pressure and concern and stress in our lives, it is a call to prayer. It is a call to prayer. Clyde often talks about in the staff first response prayer, meaning that if you're talking with someone in the cardo and they're sharing the concerns of their heart, we need to train ourselves that our first response is, how can I pray for you? And that we can be with someone emotionally and spiritually in that moment. And it's great. But how many of us have trained ourselves to give first first response prayers for ourselves? I know that often, like, it's easy for me to be somewhere and someone should, hey, can I pray with you? But when I'm feeling that same stress or burden, rarely do I go to the mirror and go, can I pray for you, Kelly? Like, I just, just, it's not my natural response. (laughs) And yet, this very act of prayer is the declaration that you are God and I am not, and I need you. And what better time to declare my need than when I'm stressed about my neediness? And again, in this passage we just read, Jesus affirmed that he cares about us, that he knows our needs, and that he's committed to meeting our needs. So our most logical response is to call out to him in our neediness. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Rather than worrying, drawing us away from our God, our worries can lead us to the throne of grace. Our worrying then can be a call to prayer. A second reminder is that worry can be a call to daily dependence. We're not just called, we're not just supposed to call out to God when we're nervous or worried. Instead, our lives are to be a relationship of daily dependence. Each day when I wake up, I have a choice. Today, will I put my hope and dependence in our God of love and seek him? Or will I depend on myself? Sadly, I have one of those personalities where I often lose perspective. And without really intending to, I spend the day depending on myself. And so again, I think that one of the potential gifts of worrying is that I can recognize my need, putting me in a much better position to surrender. For instance, I have a cousin who's had multiple sclerosis for about 35 years. And if you looked at him, you go, wow, he looks frail and weak. And he is. But worse than that is for about the last 10 or 15 years, his organs have been a mess. So that, so that like just any particular day, an organ can shut down for a day or two or three. And he never knows when it's going to happen or when it's going to stop happening or what. And so if your kidney shut down for a couple of days, that's significant. And so we were talking one time and I said, like, well, what's this like? And he said, he said, well, physically it sucks because I never know day to day where I'm going to hurt or where I'm going to be disabled or how I'm going to have to cope tomorrow. He goes, but spiritually, it's so healthy for me because every night I go to sleep and I, I legitimately do not know if I'm going to wake up, but I go to sleep and I, I'm forced to choose in whom will I trust and whom will I depend. And my, my cousin is talking there about daily dependence. Daily dependence. We all need it, but we often get distracted and forget our need. And the gift of worrying is that it can remind me that I'm not in control. Worrying can then become a call to daily dependence. And finally, a third reminder is the call to community. The Christian faith is to be lived out in community. When I'm worried about something, when life isn't going exactly how I wish it was or hoped, what a great time to remember that we need others. Some of you know, but when I was 24, I was diagnosed with eye cancer. And, and I won't go into all the details except to say when, when a doctor shares those words, it's, it sucks the air out of the room. And so... The doctor, his exact words were, Kelly, the lab report is back. It says that it's cancer, and it says the source is not the eye. And I went, what does that mean? And he goes, listen, this is way beyond my knowledge, but I think you're in a lot of trouble. And so you just kind of you just kind of receive those words. And then he says, we have the perfect person to help treat you, but they're out of the country uh, for a week. And so schedules an appointment for a week later. And so... I drive back to campus, and I have a little cry on the way back, and then I get there and I go, okay. And so I pick my five best friends, and I pull them aside and I said, here's what's going on. And so the six of us for that week, we, we skipped a lot of classes, we hung out, we shared about life and thoughts, and, and we prayed together. And we hung out that week, and that week, my heart was changed. I began the week praying, God, I want to live. And by the end of the week, it was, God, I'd, I'd really like to live, but if you have a different plan, I'm okay with that. And how I view life changed. How I view life and faith and goals and relationships, everything changed how I view that week. And it changed in large part because of the friends who walked with me that week and prayed with me and stayed up late talking about stuff. 
And it is though that those five friends of mine partnered with God in the process of changing my heart. And so I've asked our 25 to 35 group often, do you have a handful of people in your life who know exactly what is going on in your life that you can go to at a moment's notice and receive their assistance? We were called to live the Christian faith in community. Do we? The worries of life, whatever they may be for you, can be a warning system for us, reminding us of God's call in our life, a call to prayer, a call to daily dependence, a call to community. And so in a moment here, we want to give you the opportunity to experience this in just a small way. Last week, as we close, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to give you the opportunity to pray with someone. And so perhaps you're here tonight and you... Tonight, Mosaic. Perhaps you're here tonight, Mosaic. And you... (laughs) Perhaps you're here this morning, tonight, and you struggle with anxiety. And it it feels overwhelming. Or perhaps you're here and and the worries of day-to-day have have kind of bound you up. Or perhaps there's another issue or another health issue or whatever it may be. If you would like to, to receive prayer and to talk with someone, we will have care team members and elders and others at the front willing to meet with you and available to pray. And so at Mosaic, you have Fernando and Sean, and so be with them. But first, let's close in prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for your love, for your promise to provide our needs. We confirm that that we do need you and that we need help trusting, that we need help depending daily on you, that we need help living in community. And so, Father, may we be a people that choose today to follow you. I pray particularly for those with, who struggle with anxiety, Father. I ask for healing for them. I pray that you would bring friends and doctors and therapists into their life whom they can partner with in the reordering of their minds and that they would experience a newness of mind and heart. And for the rest of us, Father, I, whatever our particular struggle is, I pray that you would cause those struggles to lead us to you. And in you, I ask for provision and grace and refreshment. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.